morning, Crossroad. And happy Reformation Day, for those of you that are familiar with that, Reformation Day. Uh, if you're going trick-or-treating this evening with your kids, be sure to take some 95 theses to nail to people's doors also. That, no, don't do that. I forget, how, I forget where I heard that, but some guy said, I was like, that is a brilliant idea to just go and, not to actually nail them, but just to, to go, just to give people an idea of, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's good to see you guys. Um, great to see, I, I haven't seen y'all in a long time, so it's super good to see you guys. Um, so seeing as how this is a, is a special Sunday, I decided to take a brief detour from Acts, and I'm going to preach out of a passage that is probably not super familiar to mo- most of us, and that is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You may not be very familiar with this, and that's totally okay. It's, it's a really unique story. And it's fun to read. And by the way, when I mentioned this story to you last Sunday night, I didn't know I was going to be preaching on it this morning. So uh, it's just, it was one of those things that I think God really led me to do. There's a lot of cool stuff in this story. So in, in, in just a minute, I'm, I'm going to explain the title. But before I do, um, I wanted to let the kids know that all but one of those 24 bingo pictures are going to be hidden in these slides. And I have a cash prize. It's not real big, but I have a cash prize unless you want to make change, um, for the child, child, child. I know you're legally a child. You're 6'2". It doesn't count. Okay, Joel? Um, The child who finds the most and crosses out the most without crossing out the one that's missing. Okay? You got that? All right. So that's just trying to keep you there. So, and if you're an ADD adult like I am, or if you're an older kid, you've always got the underlined words. Look, they're going to get the bingo. Um, (laughs) You've always got the underlined words in the PowerPoint, so you can find them in the word search or on the crossword, whatever. Okay, so uh, we're going to give you a few minutes to find those bingo pictures. So you better hurry up, kids that went out there. Uh, They're in this slide while I explain the title of this message. Uh, The value of worship service. The value of worship service. You, You may have noticed I didn't say the value of a worship service, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I think that we have... Uh, we, we church folks, we have a tendency to kind of equate worship with the singing time, right, on Sunday morning. And, and we think of service maybe as what's in the bulletin there. And, and, and that's fine, because singing ought to be worship, certainly, and, and everything that we do out here, it ought to be our service to God. And so, so that's good. It should be our service of worship. But it's so much more than that. And so, so what I wanted to share uh, about these two words today, I just wanted to, to give you a little bit of information uh, before we get into today's story. So in both the New Testament and the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, there are two main words that get translated worship and service. And they're never actually put together uh, next to each other, to my knowledge, because they are two distinct concepts. Okay, the, the word that's usually translated worship is the word proskuneo, and it comes from two words, pros meaning toward and kuneo meaning to kiss, but in a submissive way, like like a dog licking its master's hand or or a person kissing the ring of a king, okay? It's a posture and an attitude that results in an action. But on the other hand, the word that's translated service is different, and it's actually kind of a fun word to say. It's diakonia. Diakonia. Will you say that with me? Diakonia. Isn't that kind of fun? I don't know. It's where we get the word deacon, okay, which, and it means to minister. It actually comes from the same Greek root as bondservant or slave. And all Christians ought to lead a life 
that exemplifies both the attitude and posture of worship, but also of service to our king, as we looked at earlier. We're to do everything for his glory, right? So all, all Christians should do this, but there's also a word that combines the idea of worship and service together. That's the word latreia, okay? And that, is, that, that was the consecrated service that was offered by the priests. Uh, it was where an animal would be slaughtered and, and burned as a placeholder for the atonement for sin. Of course, Jesus Christ is the true atonement. He is our substitution uh, that, that was laid on the altar of God's wrath, whose blood paid for the sins of mankind. And, and so there's, there's now no other blood sacrifice required. Jesus paid it all. And yet, amen. Uh, and yet, Scripture uses the word latreia uh, to refer to the Christian life as being an act of worship before God. If you're familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2, and he talks about this is your reasonable act of worship. That, that word that's translated act of worship is the word latreia. And so when it says that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that is our reasonable act of service, our latreia to God. And I don't want to confuse anyone. It's, it's important, though, that we recognize that worship and service and worship service is a lot bigger concept than just from 10 to 11, 15 or so on Sunday morning. Okay, so are you with me so far? Okay. And yet there is something very important about what we refer to as worship service. And that, that's what I kind of want to talk with you about this morning. So if you haven't already, please turn to 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 20. I'm so unused to saying that book, <laughs> Chronicles. We don't get in there very often, do we? So uh, go ahead and flip there. We're going to go through that whole chapter, but we're going to do it at a really fast pace. Uh, so before we dive in, uh, let's bow. Father God. I just thank you in Jesus' name for this precious group of people. I thank you, Father, for this wonderful Sunday. Uh, I thank you, God, that we are uh, in, in the, the sort of the, the whole, uh, the saints, the true meaning of the word saints. Here we are on All Saints Day, uh, which is, I guess, technically tomorrow. But here we are as all saints, and we're here in your presence, and we're worshiping you together. This is our latreia. This is our service of worship. And Father God, I ask that this carries not just during this time, but into every aspect of our week, Father God. We ask that you will give us uh, the, the reality of being responsive soil, that when you plant these seeds, that they will take root, they will bear fruit, and that fruit will be good. We want that fruit to honor you and glorify you. Father, help our, our service of worship this morning to bless you as well as it blesses us, but also allow us to take our worship and our service into every single facet of our existence this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All right, so Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. He's the fourth king after Solomon, and he's the third after the kingdom split into the northern and southern kingdoms. And uh, you may remember that from class. You may remember that from Scripture. Um, but Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, was basically a good king. And while Jehoshaphat didn't have a strong start, he actually really sold out at some point to the Lord. He really became a great king. But he had this, he had this major scare that happened right in kind of the middle of his reign. And that's where we're picking up this story. Uh, after this, he's referring to chapter 19, um, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Minuites, Minu Meunites, okay, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Now, okay, the geography here 
is less important than the fact that the bad guys are coming. Okay, that was, that was the point here. And so uh, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. I mean, understandably, I would think. Uh, because he was vastly outnumbered. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, if I may, whether, whether it was intentional or not, what Jehoshaphat did here was proclaim, with, with his proclamation of fasting, he was inaugurating a massive service of worship in the nation. And so the rest of this story, we're, we're going to see the value of doing that. So kind of keep your eyes open for, for this idea, this concept, okay? Uh, and, and that said, I think there's an overarching benefit that worship service provides for Christians. And we're going to see it all through this story. Simply put, it, it, helps us, it helps us to trust the Lord. And there are a couple of ways we see right here in this paragraph, from the example of Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah, we see that worship service helps us to trust him through intentionally humbling ourselves. Now, what does that mean? You know, in the Old Testament, a fast was a way of, of clearing the mind and resetting priorities. It was a way to be made mindful of God's bigness and our smallness. So put that on the back burner just for a moment. Perhaps you've wondered about, about uh, the, some point about the songs that we sing in our worship uh, services. Why, why we do certain songs and we don't do other songs that may be common or may be popular in mainstream churches. And the reason is that we feel convicted that the, thought, the, the songs that we sing, I'm having trouble today. The songs that we sing should always glorify God. The songs that we sing should preach the gospel, the songs that we sing should help us to be cognizant of our constant need for God. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but just bear in mind that a worship service should be a time of lowering oneself in the presence of Almighty God, of humbling ourselves. And recognizing his ability to save. And anyway, that, that's what the nation of, of Judah was doing here. They were, they were seeking the Lord's help. They were saying, we are weak, but you are strong, right? They were saying, help us, help us. So declaring this truth uh, that we are in desperate need of God's help, that changes our, our perspective. Because we stop trying to figure out how we're going to save ourselves, and we rely instead on his strength. That builds trust. And also note that, that the people of Judah were gathering together in his name. This is one of the great benefits of worship service. I mean, we could, we could all fast and pray from home, right? I mean, we could. They could have, they could have fasted and prayed from home, sure. But, but there's an additional blessing in the area of trust that comes from being together. I think part of it is, is simply uh, the presence of other like-minded believers, but there's also, there's, there really is a synergistic nature of sharing a like precious faith. By the way, that's S-Y-N, not S-I-N, synergy, okay? But when we struggle to trust, there's, there is a power in the assembly of the faithful. There is a power in being together with other believers that bolsters our faith. Let's keep reading. This right here, this is a magnificent prayer, okay? Jehoshaphat just really lays it all out. So he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, 
Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand or power and might so that none is able to withstand you. I, I love how he starts this prayer because it's a solid reminder of who God is. And we need that reminder. We're, we're too quick, I think, to forget that, that our faith is in a God who made the heavens and the earth, who hung the, the moon and stars in place. This is the God that, that parted the Red Sea so his people could cross on dry land. This is the God who, who, who poured out fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. This prayer reminds us that God is sovereign. Meaning God has all power and authority. I want you to notice that the Jehoshaphat refers to the Lord as God in heaven. This is a nod, I believe, to his transcendent nature. The Lord is transcendent, meaning he has all, he, oh, excuse me, he is, I'm sorry, I, I need to back up there. Um, he, he, is, he is not constrained by space and time, in other words, the way we are. He is not stuck in a timeline. As we are. He also, Jehoshaphat points out that God is undefeatable because no one can withstand him. So, God's sovereignty, part of that is that he is, his ways are as high above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. He is transcendent and he is also impossible to thwart. Okay? The king continues Did you not, our God? Drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. What's he talking about here? I think he's appealing to the Lord's faithfulness. He's appealing to the faithfulness in that God made a promise to Abraham. And, and that promise, by the way, you, you read Genesis 15 and you see that promise was contingent on God, not on Abraham. God made a covenant in his own name with Abraham that relied on himself, not Abraham. And he made a promise regarding a great land. And not only with regard to Abraham, it applied to his physical descendants as well. The, the people that God chose to carry his name before the nations. And so, so this prayer reminds us of the character of God. Okay? The character of our Lord, that he is sovereign and he is faithful. And so Jehoshaphat continues. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if disaster comes upon us. The sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine. We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And he's quoting from, from the prayer that was offered up by Solomon uh, half a century before this. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Oh, now pay attention here. For, for we, he says, are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This prayer isn't just about who God is. It's also about who we are. You know, part of the great blessing of humbling ourselves intentionally is that we are able to see just how powerless we really are in ourselves. And Jehoshaphat, he's not afraid to admit it. I mean, he, he basically says, we're stewed. We are in trouble. 
We are impotent to protect ourselves against this, this massive enemy. And that, that's such, such an important thing for anybody to realize. You know, that, that if, if we are trusting in God, there, there's a danger. Listen, there's a danger for those who believe that we trust God. If we think that we are capable of saving ourselves or even standing firm in our own power against the onslaught of the devil and his forces, we are in trouble. Because we cannot... We do not have that power. We do not have that strength, that fortitude. God does. We can't save ourselves. Again, that, that's part of why we sing some of the songs that we sing. You know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Uh, or, or as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. You beheld my helpless state and led me to the cross. That's why we sing these things. These are truths that we need to internalize, but we, we must never forget that we are also his people. His people whom he freely chose in his grace to be his holy priesthood, his royal nation, and his children. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. And several times, uh, Jehoshaphat r reminds, I'm going to put that in quotes, he reminds God of his promises which were made to his people. We in the New Testament church are God's people. We are his children. We, we would not glory in our weakness were it not for the fact that, that God's strength is perfected in weakness. And, and he shows his love for us as his children by giving us grace that's sufficient for us. Just as he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, he says, for my strength is perfected in weakness. So when we, when we see this whole picture, you know, when we realize who God is and we contrast that against who we are, then we're aware of our total dependence on him to save us, to protect us, to provide us, and to keep his, his word to us. You know, I need thee every hour. That is an understatement, folks. We need him every moment, every second, every nanosecond. We need him. And the sooner we understand, the sooner we grasp that, the better we're going to be able to have faith in our Lord with regard to everything. The better we'll be able to train ourselves not to rely on ourselves, right? Thank you. And this kind of brings us back to to how worship service helps us to trust in the Lord. I think we can say the same thing that Jehoshaphat said. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is a wonderful expression of trust. You know, we're clueless, but we're watching you. You know, like the whole nation of Judah, we grow in trust by focusing on God's ability rather than our own ability or lack thereof, right? I mean, if you really think about it, the more, the more that you know and understand who God is, there's nothing more comforting, ultimately, than the knowledge that he is both sovereign and faithful. And the reason is that we also know he is good. He is good. Now, some might disagree with that premise. You know, there, there are folks who, who say, you know, I'm not so sure that God is good. You know, he allows evil. 
He let me ruin my life or my marriage. He, he didn't stop my spouse from leaving or perhaps from passing away. He allowed my child to reject him. Whatever the case may be, perhaps I don't have all the same blessings that I see other people receive. Listen, friends, we can attest all of that to the fact that we live in a fallen world, but we, we don't understand how that works all the time. But even, even if he, listen, even if he never did another thing for us, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even if there was never any other blessing. That's enough to show us that God is good. That's the kind of love that God has for you and me. And when, when we understand that his nature is love, and that he is all-powerful, and that he is completely faithful, well, you know, we can know that he desires to do good to his people, and he can do good to his people, and he will do good to his people. So let's read some more. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Another way the gathering of believers grows in trust is by receiving assurance from God's word receiving assurance from God's word. In, th in this case, of course, we have the advantage of, of reading in Scripture that the Holy Spirit was speaking through this Jehaziel guy. You know, at, at the time, the people that were with him, they probably just had to take it on faith that he was speaking for the Lord in that moment. To be fair, we're taking it on faith that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Jehaziel, right? We do a lot more on faith than maybe sometimes we really think about. Uh, anyway, so... When God's people gather for a, a worship service, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing that we have God's word with us. And, and, and from his word, we're able to proclaim his truth. And it's a, it's a tremendous privilege and a, and a tremendous honor to be able to read the word of God to his people and to give the comfort and the peace and the conviction and see the fruit that it bears. As a pastor, it's such a blessing to be able to share the word of God with you. And for the congregation, what a great blessing it is to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed and explained and to be able to receive the assurance of God's promises. You know, earlier, that passage that Terry read from Romans chapter 8 is so profound. It's such an amazing message 
from the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And there's quite a list that Paul gives too of things that can't separate us from that love. What joy we can share. You know, knowing that God is strong enough to keep us in his hand despite whatever might try to take us out. Anyway, back to Chronicles. Uh, then Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. There, there's that proskuneo. There's that posture of humility, the, the submission and honor before God. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now guys, there's a lot here that's really, really cool. But I want to point out one more grace that the Lord provides through the worship service that helps us to trust him. And that is the leadership of faithful people. Remember what Jehoshaphat just did. He, he encouraged his people to put their faith in God and believe in his word. And then there was a group of worship leaders that praised God mightily. And they went in front of the army. <laughs> okay, now, now just hang, hang on just a second there. Did you catch that the worship leaders were in front of the army? Did you notice they were in front of the army? Okay, just, just making sure we get... Okay, you want to talk about trusting God? That's trusting God. Okay, these are a bunch of unarmed dudes. I mean, we're talking unarmored dudes taking point at the front of a column of fighting men, and they're standing there in their robes, literally singing at the top of their lungs and letting the bad guys know they're coming. You know what? I'll bet their faith gave the rest of the people courage. I mean, as much as the people probably appreciated the king's words, you better believe that they were moved by these faithful men who trusted in the Lord enough to lead that service of worship into battle. There is something about faithful men potentially making a sacrifice that is a powerful testimony. And that's why I'm going to try to not cry and take a moment to tell you about my friend Danny Moore. Uh, most of you are aware that Danny has been the worship leader at Crossroad for almost 14 years. And you probably also have gathered by now that this is his, his last official Sunday as worship leader since his family is in the process of planning a move uh, to the Moore compound out in East Texas. Um, and, and don't worry, they're, they're not leaving real soon. This, this is just part of, of the transitioning out of one role and into a new one. Uh, and I'm excited, I know a lot of us are excited that next week you are going to actually get to sit with your wife and children and worship God together. And, and that is uh, probably for the first time ever, just about. And that, that's a huge blessing for him. And we're also thankful for our brother Everett Thomas, who is going to step into that role uh, of worship leader starting next week. But, but for now, uh, I'd like to honor the worship leadership of this faithful man right here 
Um, he, he is not a guy that's going to draw attention to himself, and so, uh, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to repeat something. Many of you know this, but there, there's a whole bunch of new people that I'm sure haven't heard this, and so I just want to say it one more time, okay? Back in spring of 2009, after the housing bubble burst, uh, the former, former minister of this church, you guys, most of y'all know Alan Knox, he, he let the worship leader, Danny, and the associate minister, me, he let us know the church wasn't going to be able to afford us anymore. And he said, you're welcome to stay if you like, but as of June, our salaries were going to stop. And at that time, uh, Shannon was bringing home the bacon. I was bringing home bacon bits. And so I decided that I, I needed to, to, to do something. I felt God was closing one door. He was opening another door. And so I chose to go preach in Greenville uh, for seven years, and I kept earning a salary. But faithful Danny was led to stay, and he did. And I know that the Lord has blessed Danny and Allison in the last few years with, a, with a, a good job. But at that time, he was a music teacher doing cello lessons with people up here at the church building. And it was a sacrifice for him to stay and keep doing what he was doing without receiving a paycheck. So he worked for free for the next couple of years or so doing the very same excellent job that he had done before. And eventually the economy got better, um, and, and the church giving went up, and Crossroad was able to start paying him again. But for a time, he was working for the calling and the joy that the Lord provided in his ministry here. And I have a deep respect for you, brother. And I have a deep respect for this man and for what he does. And it, it's faithful people like you, Danny, that the Lord uses to increase our faith. And I'm going to miss you standing up here in front of the army. So I just wanted to say that, um, and we're going to give you something really quick. Um, is now an okay time? Chris, if you want to just come on up. Can you come up real quick? <laughs> we're also going to take up a love offering uh, at the end of the service, but something that the church wanted to, to give you guys something. Um, there, did you get the envelope? Is it stuck in there? Okay, cool. That's a gift certificate to Rick's Chop House because we know y'all like that place. <laughs> and, uh, and then that's just uh, what we'd like to do is um, there's a really big, Tom signed that because Tom's not here. Have a nice trip. And, uh, and Tom is, Tom, hi Tom. He's, he's watching. His signature's on there because he wasn't going to be here today. But um, we're going to take that out and have everybody that's here sign it and write you know, notes um, just saying thank you for what you've done. And, um, man, we love you so much. We love you guys. Um, so, can y'all clap for him? I mean, come on. It's... Um, we'll, uh, I was wondering if we should pray over y'all now, but we figured we'll wait until you're ready to, to move. So, um, okay, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be a long time. Um, so, all right, and uh, afterwards, we'll also be honoring Danny with cake. So, uh, hopefully, we'll see you afterwards. Anyway, so let's finish this story. Um, thank you for your prayers. I did not cry. Uh, to recap, the Lord's people are going out to face three nations of enemies, okay, even though they are massively outmanned, because they have faith that God will keep his promise and give them victory. And at the front of the army, are a group of worship leaders that are bravely entrusting their fate to the God of hosts. Now, note what happens next, okay? 
And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. When did God do this? When they began to sing and praise. Interesting. Don't miss that. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, then they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Because God keeps his promises, amen? When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. There was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. And behold, uh, therefore, the name of that place had been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And yes, for Tom Kearns. Since they were rejoicing, it's probably safe to say there was a jumpin' Jehoshaphat. <laughs> that was his joke, and you're welcome. All right, so they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his Lord gave him rest all around. That is a great story, right? I mean, what a cool story. The people had, had so much faith in God, they put the singers out front, and when the singers started praising God, God had the enemies wipe each other out. So God did it. Now, if this were a different church, and if I were a different preacher, I might make a flimsy connection here based entirely on presumption rather than the revealed word of God. But the thing is, this was a one-off circumstance, Okay? Okay, I hope we see that. In the history of God's people, this situation was never again replicated, and it is not supposed to be instructive for you. Don't start hoping you're going to get home from this worship service and find that your rude neighbors off to each other and all their stuff is up for grabs. That is not going to happen. Okay? Okay? God is not promising you that he's going to win all your battles and get you that promotion or whatever. That would be terrible eisegesis of this passage, and I would call it dangerous false teaching. Okay? The fact of the matter is that Christians are not promised we'll win every battle. We are not. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that our lives are going to be easy or that we're going to have health and wealth in this world if we do X, Y, Z. In fact, it, it says that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Paul, who wrote these words was the greatest Christian who ever lived, and yet he experienced terrible misery and exposure and starvation and beatings and desertion by his friends. We won't win every battle, but the war, the war is already won through Jesus Christ. The war is won. The war is won. It's won. We have victory. There doesn't have to be any doubt on our end. You know, there's, there's not like, like, the, like the movies where there's this cosmic chess game with God and the devil on opposite sides of the table. 
and God's rubbing his temples and just, boy, I sure hope this works out. You know? No, what does Scripture say? Scripture says Jesus won. He succeeded in being the perfect Lamb of God by defeating every sin the world had to offer. And he told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Through Jesus' atoning death on, on the cross, Scripture says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And for those who believe the gospel and belong to Christ, Paul says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, listen, the, the real war, the real war was fought with 33 years of sinless living, and the hero died selflessly on a tree in agony, but the deciding battle of that war was when he rose from the dead. And now we, we, we people that were dead in our transgressions and sins, who were weak and ungodly and sinners, we get to live in the victory provided by what the Lord did through his son, Jesus Christ. See, we fight from a position of victory. Now, every day for the Christian ought to be a battle. We are not going to have it easy, but we fight from the, from the position of victory because even for those who are saved. We're, we're, we're in a position of victory because we are in Christ, but we will struggle. It's going to happen. We're going to go through difficulties. We're going to have, have problems with, uh, with not just the sin in our flesh. We're going to have problems with the world who hates us. It's going to happen, but we fight from a position of victory because Jesus won. He won. You're going to lose some battles, but the victory is one. One day we're going to shed this wretched body, right? And we're going to receive the, the new bodies in the eternal glory of God. But until that day, brothers and sisters, worshipful service and a service of worship are a great way to enter battle. See, when we begin each week with worship service led by faithful men of God and, and we sing our hearts' cries to the Lord, then, then whether we win the battle that day or not, we can still rest in the assurance that Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He has risen from the dead and I will rise. So, Come here ready to enter life's battles with a renewed vigor as we grow deeper in our, in our trust of our sovereign and faithful God. Amen? All right. Um, we're going to have a, just a time of invitation. And if you feel that the Lord is leading you for whatever, in whatever way, if you believe you, if you need prayer, if you need people to to, to gather around you, lay hands on you and pray. If you believe that, that you, for maybe the first time, have believed in Jesus Christ and you understand the gospel that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and what that means, if that's you for the first time, the, the Bible commands you, Jesus commands you to confess and be baptized by immersion as scripture teaches and then to walk in obedience to him. And if you've already done those things, you've already been baptized, you've already made the confession, but you've not truly been obedient to Christ, today can be your day. 
His mercies are new every morning. That's one of the only parts of Lamentations that actually makes me happy, right? He is new. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So if, if the Lord is leading you this morning, come forward, come talk to me, and whatever it is that you need, uh, the Lord can provide. And then after that, uh, we'll do a, a final song, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we'll pass around the love offering plates during that final song.